This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. And we are coming to you today from the NHL Draft Combine. We are here in Buffalo. We are in the lobby where all the action is. So if you hear a little bit of background noise, uh, that is what that is. There's a, a restaurant here where throughout the week, Corey, we have seen a lot of uh, power players in the NHL coming and going. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes the Combine so fun. It's like a j- big NHL conference. Uh, you have all the top prospects here, obviously, for the upcoming draft. But you have all the decision makers, the GMs, the scouting directors, the area scouts, all the major agencies represented here. It's always a lot of fun coming, coming to this event. It is, and it's been a really good uh, week so far for us here. Uh, the show today is going to focus on a lot of the conversations we've been having. Our, our main guest today is Max Giese, who, who works for at CAA Sports, but for the past 10 years, uh, has been a scout with the Winnipeg Jets. You so rarely get to hear from active NHL scouts that I feel like getting Max fresh off of his, you know, his 10 years as a scout, you're getting as close to an active scout as, as we're ever going to get live on a podcast on the record. Yeah, and I think you know NHL media is a little bit different than, say, NFL media or basketball media on, on that front where we don't see typically guys leave the league and then join the media front shortly thereafter to talk about their experiences in the league. You know, we have like Craig Button, who's prominent on our side, but he's it's, it's been a while since he's been with been with the front office. So I think it's really cool to get Max's recent experiences and kind of see his perspective and the team perspective from the inside of of how they view the draft and the coverage of the draft. And we're also going to have after we get done with Max some some interviews we did with a few of the top prospects in this class, uh, Tom Willander, who played for Rogla in Sweden, was a huge riser out of the U18s. Uh, Gabe Perot, record-setting uh, player for the U.S. National Team Development Program, uh, is going to join us. And of uh, Dalbor Dvorsky, who another guy, uh, Slovak, who played in Sweden this year, had another outstanding U18s. Really excited to hear from all three of those guys. Um, so we'll have that as well. Absolutely, and, and both really helped their stocks. Yeah, absolutely. So really looking forward to that. Uh, but we're going to start here uh, with Max Giese. Okay, we are joined today by Max Giese, who for 10 years was a scout for the Winnipeg Jets. Now he's with CAA. We've got him with us here at the Combine in Buffalo. And that's where I want to start, Max, is kind of the the behind the scenes look. You're now getting this from a new perspective, but uh, for a while you saw this event very differently. And I think we can start there. What is the value of the Combine for teams? The value of the Combine for teams, I think it's it's another data point getting to know these players. Um, as people, you know, as a, as a scout, you spend all season long as, as an area scout, you really kind of hone in on the guys in your area, get to know them as people. Um, usually again, just quick 15, 20 minute interviews, but fault calls, texts, sometimes taking a kid out for coffee, a dinner, just again, trying to spend some time with them, talking to people around them, coaches, um, just looking for good references, guys you trust that you can lean on to get some information on the players. You're really just trying to figure out which kids really love hockey, are really committed to it. They love everything about it. They love putting in the hard work. They want to get better. Um, and then the combine, again, it's a quick little snapshot. Uh, but it's also the first opportunity usually that your director of scouting, your management team, the crossover scouts get to meet these guys. And also all the best players in the world, for the most part, are right here in one spot. So it's, it's very valuable. Um, but again, it's just another snapshot, stepping stone, trying to put the whole picture together. 
I noticed you did not. No part of that answer included the uh, running around in 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 the tank top, spandex, and and doing pull ups. Is that is that fair to say then that that's maybe not the most important part of the week? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the interviews are definitely the most important part for the scouting staffs here. Um, some scouts will stay and watch the testing. Not all. Um, I think, you know, in Winnipeg we had our physical, like the sports science, the physical, the trainers. Those are the guys that are the experts on actually evaluating you know, the, the numbers that are coming in, like, Hey, that's a really good time. Or, Hey, that's a really good VO2 max score. Um, for the scouts, it's all about the character and stuff like that. And the interviews. And again, those interviews for the most part, you're just checking in on looking for kids that have good self-awareness about their own games, um, good development plans to improve. And also just getting, again, just trying to get a feel for their personality. Um, maybe who commands a room, who has a presence, who has some leadership, who has some conviction and belief in that they're going to make the NHL and impact it. And you also get to learn about their goals. Um, some kids are very individualistic with that. And then some are very team oriented. You know, they want to make the NHL cause they want to win the cup. And, you know, you're just kind of looking for little, little tidbits like that to get to know the person more. But you know, on the scouting side of it, at least with, in my career, I didn't watch any of the testing. Fair to say we would not have been allowed to do this interview earlier in your career when you were employed by a team, especially at this time of, of year. Rarely does the public get to hear from, you know, employed NHL scouts. So if it's okay with you, I want to ask you a few kind of questions about what that life was like. And specifically, I just, you know, what do you think the biggest misconceptions are about what a, what a scout does? What is the life of a scout? I think people would underestimate just the the amount of time that an individual scout puts in. I mean, the these guys work extremely hard. It's, you know, when some of these guys say, Hey, I've been to 270 plus games this year, it's not an exaggeration. And then you start to add in, it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of rental cars and airplanes and being away from family. And I think that's the part where, again, it's, you're going to the game and you're evaluating these prospects and, but all the while you're trying to manage the most efficient schedule possible you might be exhausted too. You know, one night you're, I mean, some guys like the directors, I mean, they might be in a different country and they fly, you know, they had a flight from Stockholm in the morning and they land in Toronto. They're going to Kitchener for a game. Just, just the attrition part, I would say it's, uh, it's definitely not as glamorous as I thought it would be going into it. But at the same time, it's, it's a wonderful job. It's, it's a, it's a total blast. You're at the end of the day, you are getting paid to watch hockey and evaluate players. And, you know, that's something I love to do. And the guys that, hold those kind of jobs to this day, love what they do. And you're doing it around your friends. Like you really develop some deep friendships doing it. And, uh, but yeah, just the, I think the big difference from the outside looking in for me was just the commitment, the time, the sacrifice you got to put in to put the years at work in. Yeah. You started being a scout when you were very young and, you know, whether it's, I get this from people often, I'm sure you get it even more often, you know, you ask people, you know, about getting into the game, working in sports, you know, what would be maybe either advice or warning signs you would give to people who want to get into scouting? Is it just simply the time commitment? Is it the, just the vast amount of weekends you're going to commit? What is, what is your constant message to people who want to try and get into scouting? Yep. Any, anyone that wants to get into scouting, um, again, I always try to encourage it. I like, again, I got into it as a, I started off as just as a fan of it, a fan of the draft. And I was able to kind of snowball by snowball my way into actually scouting the NHL. Um, for aspiring people, I always tell them, like, try to be in the rank as much as you possibly can. Go to as many games as you possibly can. But obviously, make sure it's the right ones. And that's very specific to where you live. Like, you know, for me, growing up in Wisconsin, I started going to a lot of USHL games, a lot of college games. And I started to figure out, like, oh, hey, this league's having a big showcase. I should go and check it out. And 
just by being in the rank, you start to network and get to meet people and you develop those relationships organically. And then also, I think you just kind of get better at your craft. Um, you know, for me at, at a young age, trying to get into the NHL, I was watching games and taking my own notes. And <laughs> I'm sure I look kind of weird going into Wisconsin Badger games, for example, and having like a notepad on me and taking notes on guys like TJ Oshie and Jonathan Taves and then putting them on my computer. But it did help me develop my skill set. And then along the way, Again, I was just meeting the right people at the right times, and they're seeing my face over and over and maybe develop a little bit of a trust and a friendship there. So that'd be my recommendation to people is, um, you know, if, if, if you really want to be a scout, get in the ranks as much as possible, find which games that actually have value added for NHL teams. Like, hey, they're going to come and watch their top prospects or, you know, they're watching guys for the draft, try to beat those games. And a lot of this stuff kind of can fall into place from there. And then as far as like pitfalls, things, I'm really thankful that Twitter wasn't a thing when I was, you know, in my late teens, early twenties, when I was trying to get into this, because I don't know if I would have had the, the wherewithal to avoid the pitfalls I've seen with Twitter. I think such as <laughs> there's a lot of people we see on Twitter that, you know, they victory lap guys like, Hey, I had this guy at eight in 2020 and you know, they do a victory lap on it. And it's definitely a turnoff for NHL teams and people in the Why? NHL. And then I just think there's the longer you do this, the more you realize, like, it's very difficult what we're trying to do. I always say, like, we're trying to predict the future of other human beings. There's an inherent error rate to that. It's a very humbling profession. The longer you do it, you're going to have some skeletons in your closet and guys you missed on. Um, so to kind of rub people's nose in it that, like, hey, I, I got this one right. I was right. Um, or I'm smarter than the NHL. Not saying I was going to do that, but, like, I think it would have been tempting at a young age to engage in some discussion on players and maybe I wouldn't have handled it the right way, express myself the right way. So I would avoid if anyone, Twitter's a great tool. Social media is a great tool. You can get your name out there, your product out there. Don't get me wrong. Like I encourage people to use it, but again, just use it wisely and with some humility. I was having a conversation with a director. He was a director for over 15 years and he would, you know, often, you know, point to whether it's, people in the public or people even on his own staff who will be say things like, oh, I got that one right or whatever. And he says, you know, well, okay, you got that one right. Let me look at your whole list. You know, yeah, you, you, you were a genius. You got for, for saying that you thought that player was going to be good, but would you have actually taken that player in that, in that, in that spot where he actually went? What about the rest of your list? You know, yep. <laughs> you got, got one thing right, but your next 10 out of your next, whatever, 13 guys, we're bust, you know, so does that, are you really the, the genius you thought you were? Um, what, and because I think social media and the public draft discourse has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years, you know, we're, we're doing a prospect podcast right now. We have two full-time writers and Max writes about a lot about po prospects just for our one media company. That wasn't a thing in the NHL media sphere 10 plus years ago when you started, you know, what, what do teams, how do you think teams really look at the discourse around the draft, the public discourse, all the rankings and mock drafts? What is that, what is that really like from, from the inside? That's a good question. I think each team really does do their own unique work. And they are very, like we never allowed at Winnipeg, um, whether it's an individual scout or the, the team list, we never allowed our work to change based on what we were reading out there. But at the same time, I think, to be a good scout and to make good decisions as a team, like you have to gather as much information as you possibly can. So any trusted source you have, you should look into it, research it, and then you can aggregate it how you want at the end. But 
So, I mean, obviously we use central scouting um, to help identify which players we need to go watch. Um, you're always looking for like variation between your own list too. Like, man, I have this guy the second round, but you know, Corey Prime the athletic has him in the top 10. Maybe I'm way too low. I got to give him another look. You're always kind of checking in on your own work and using um, the public sphere as that. I think the mock drafts are always interesting because by the time you actually get to the draft, you have a good hunch of, I don't know, what kind of players you think you're going to have at your, at your pick available in the first round. And, you know, the scout, you, you get competitive, you want your guy. And so you start to you start using the public list, Bob McKenzie's list, mock drafts again, and you're starting to figure out like, man, is there a realistic shot this guy's going to get to us? So that's kind of how we use it. But again, me individually, I would read a lot of the public lists out there. But again, the ones I really respect, like yours, Corey, and and then I would also just use that to kind of check in with my own work and make sure I'm not missing something. Um, or it could also just even be reading about something specific. If there's a guy like, well, I think he's a good skater, but Corey, you know, he, he grades him as a below average skater. Am I missing something? Like, so you're always just kind of using the public sphere as to check on your own work and try to make good decisions at the end as possible. I think that leads to like the obvious question of like, what, where do you think the biggest gaps are in, in what we see is there can be a public consensus on the draft, right? At times. And I think it, there can be an NHL consensus and they're not always a true consent. Like they're, they're they can be very different. What do you see as the biggest differences in how the public sees players and, and how the league does? I think when you're actually working for the team, so I've, you know, all three, two teams, um, you're really trying to project that player to your own roster, even though it's, again, it's a, it's a three, four or five year investment, but you're, you can't help but look at it and be like, okay, I think this player would be a first line center for us. Or, uh, you know, this guy that legitimately has a, really good chance of being a right shot offensive defenseman that could play power. You're always trying to project the NHL level. Um, so sometimes there's definitely players like the, the undersized guy that doesn't have dynamic speed. That is a tough profile to project into your lineup. He's got to be high end with like his offensive IQ, his puck skill, his compete level. You know, so I, I just think sometimes I see players ranked very high in the public list where I'm like, man, you know, it's going to be tough to invest in a five, eight, player with average speed, even though he's putting up monster numbers in junior, whereas, you know, if there's an intriguing toolsy defenseman who's got size and length and he's a little underdeveloped physically, but he plays with his eyes up and he processes the game, the numbers aren't there, but so I guess the, the biggest difference is in the NHL side. I mean, obviously we value statistics and I know some teams are more ahead of the curve than others in terms of the analytics, but for the most part, it really is the eye test and the projection. Whereas I think in the public sphere, I notice guys that put up some monster numbers, you know, maybe that gets weighed more heavily in that domain. You talked about, you know, being at the draft table and having these guys you want. Uh, to the degree that you can share any of these stories, what was your biggest, like, draft heartbreak of a guy who went right in front of your pick that you really, really wanted? Um, <laughs> that would be Brock Besser yeah. for me. Yeah, that year, we got really lucky with our first pick. We took Kyle Connor. And we did not anticipate Kyle Connor being available. Like I thought, I think we all did. We, we, this kid will be a top 10 pick. Um, and then he started to slide. And I remember looking over at a scout and was like, do we really think Kyle's, any chance Kyle's really actually going to get to us? So when he did, it was pure, it was just, we were just ecstatic. Like, and now we get ready for our next pick. It was in the mid twenties and you know, the dust settles and now we're starting to focus on that pick. And a lot of guys that we liked began to go. And then, but Brock Besser was still there. And I was like, oh my God. Cause like I spent that whole year trying to figure out who do I like more, Kyle Connor or Brock Besser. And not saying it was going to be my decision alone, but 
you know, individually as a scout, you always want to like get it right. Even if it's like, Hey, my team, we're going to take Kyle Connor. If he's there, that's the guy. But like, I wanted to get that one right. I had a lot of time and belief in Brock. And so that was not an easy decision to have Kyle ahead of Brock, but eventually I went with Kyle because of the speed, the pace. And, but it was really, anyways, yeah, it was really exciting to thought that, man, we might get both of these guys. Um, and then Brock went pretty quickly ahead of us um, to Vancouver. And we still got a really good nice player in Jack Roslovic. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, Brock Besser was the one that it was it was crushing when he went right out of us. So you've seen kind of two spec sides of the spectrum there in terms of the caliber of player you've gotten from the U.S. into your organization. You had Kyle Connor, first round guy you had really highly rated, you know, highly touted player. You can argue he's one of the most touted players ever from the USHL that wasn't a program kid. And then, but you also had the late round picks, guys like Tucker Tucker Pullman and Mason Appleton that you got drafted out of the U.S. became NHL players. How would you describe the differences in the, that evaluation process for those guys, the the recruitment, and um, the uh, overall making that selection in terms of building consensus within within the organization? Yeah, really good question. Yeah, with Kyle, that's a good example. So a first round pick like Kyle, um, the amount of views. Uh, that we get on those players is massive. I mean, it's, I mean, even individually as a scout, for me being a U.S. area scout, so to speak, um, your priority is to know the whole draft, but your your main priority is to really know the top end guys in your area. So it's a lot of time invested into going to watch Kyle. And then also it's not just watching him play. Usually for those guys, we we go to their practice and we, and, and those, the character reference work on those players is extensive. It's a lot of time with the player. You even get to know the families usually before you select them at that point. And, but again, it's, it's, it's all hands on deck with that one. I mean, even our GM, Kevin Chevaldeoff, Chevy came and watched Kyle play. Um, and he came to watch Brock play that year. Um, obviously director of crossover assistant GM, everybody, the amount of time that your organization invests in the player that they select in the first round, even if it's a mid first, like Kyle, again, it's, it's a lot. Um, and the, you know, the first round for a scout, it's, it's not as exciting as the late round guys for me because, but on the first round, would you say that on that pick, is there consensus in the organization when, you, when you're making that pick? Or will there even still be people who don't 100% agree with that pick? At year, that? year to year, um, there's, it's not always there's consensus. on the Even the first round, there's going to be dissenting opinions on that. Um, oh, we should have went with this guy or this guy. But by the time your team list is together, like the process is so thorough and collaborative that it really is a team list. And you know, again, everybody in that room, like you have your opinion, you have your conviction and belief, but... Again, you also know in back of mind, like, hey, I might not have it right. And I'm looking around the room at some very bright guys who worked very hard to come up with their opinions on this this year, too. So you, by the time it's, it really is a team list and you trust it, um, even though there is guys that have dissenting opinions on that. Not with Kyle Connors. Again, he's a guy that we had, like, firmly in our top 10. So by the time we got him at 16 or 17, whichever it was, that was, there was no dissenting opinions at that point. That was an easy one, but... As far as the late round guys, I mean, I think that's where being an area scout for me in Winnipeg, probably my favorite thing about the job was trying to find those guys. Um, Tucker and Mason weren't on NHL Central scouting. It was just, you know, the, the ability to go watch games and, um, you know, the USHL Fall Classics, whatever. It's always fun when, like, a player grabs your eye that isn't one of, like, the household names in the class. And, and then you kind of follow up on them throughout the year. And then you really get to know the young man. That was the biggest thing with Tucker and Mason is getting to know them as people. Like not only did they have projectable things, like Tucker was a 6'3", 200-pound defenseman, right shot, great skater, great athlete. Mason 
was a 6-2 forward that had an unbelievable brain for the game. And then getting to know both of them, like their internal drive, their mental toughness, all the character stuff was like, wow, these guys are really special, special individuals that I believe can overcome the odds of being a fifth and sixth round pick and make it. Um, but even then, there's it's not just a one scout thing. Like we had um, for both Mason and Tucker, there's, there's crossover scouts that come see them. Those are some nerve wracking days for area scouts because you advocate for the player and then now your assistant GM, your director, crossover scouts are coming to watch them. They might only see the player once or twice and you need that guy to have a good game. Sometimes it's a lot about timing. Um, and then you also start paying attention to who's at those games too. Like you notice, oh, hey, like there's a scout from Ottawa that they usually do a good job of drafting these kind of players too. And But those those are the most exciting ones. Um, so I don't know, say, say you draft a player like Kyle in the first round, you're probably going to have 10 to 12 guys in your organization watch that player. Um, you know, the Mason Appletons of the world, it might be just three or four scouts. It's interesting how you describe that process right there. And I think some people who maybe don't know the scouting world may hear that and seeing that. That seems kind of antiquated in the year 2023 that you have this guy, one of your full-time professionals is really passionate about him. And your decision makers are only going to watch him once when technology is at the point right now where it shouldn't be a massive inconvenience to watch a couple, you know, shift-by-shift blows of the guy, right? You know, basically it's about you know live versus video in that sense like don't you think if 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 you have an area scout that's passionate shouldn't your director you know be able to just watch a couple of games on video and then see him live and then maybe have a fuller picture of that you know how would you but we also do know i say that and i see you smirking you know we know that different organizations have different organizational philosophies on video versus live we've seen that even post pandemic where teams were scouting fully by video for one or two years and Basically, they just rolled back the clock right after uh, we can go. I'll go back to work and and live scout again like normal, right? Yeah, and I might be aging myself with that answer a little bit because like Tucker and Mason, we didn't have Instat sure. at that point, sure. so it was old school hockey TV. You have to watch the entire game, and or we had like uh, someone in the office clipping shifts for us, and that took time. But now, yeah, now with Instat, I mean, time seeing those things like viewings that should not be an issue um so i think it, it's been fun for me joining caa having the ability now to outreach to different angel organizations and kind of learn about their processes and like you said there's a lot of teams that have systems in place to try to avoid those situations where it's like hey we're we're passing on a guy or taking a guy because of one game um you know let's really let's use video to strengthen our amount of information on the player and so anyways, but yeah, when but, I was... But that's probably a good point. Like, you know, how have you seen the scouting industry evolve over your time working from when you started in the league to where it is right now? How, what, what would, you, how would you describe the, maybe the, the transformational differences on the technology side? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's all been on the video. I think that's been the biggest jump. Um, again, I mean, with Sports Logic, with Instat, we have such great tools now. I mean, at CAA, we're using those as well. And it's... I remember like, you know, be scouting before that, you would get a tip on a player sometimes like, hey, you need to go to Minot, North Dakota to go see this guy. And I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars in a weekend kind of gone, gone down the tubes just to go see a player. And usually those, it's, it's, it's a quick report back that, hey, there's nothing here. We can just move on. But now with Instat, you can really use it to help you on your identification process. Like, hey, again, it's Central Flag's a guy or 
Corey, you like a guy, or we just got, we heard about a guy. Now we can actually watch on video before we dedicate the resources to go see him live. But I still think by and large, the majority of the NHL live views really drive the process. Um, I know for me, again, even now on in my new end, whether I'm helping a player with um, servicing him on the player development side or, you know, on the recruiting side, trying to identify guys like, Video is very useful for me, but my skill set is more based on seeing a player in person. That's where I really feel like I get the clear picture of what the game is like. But I think it's going to be interesting because we have a lot of young aspiring scouts coming up who they're more their skill sets can be more developed based on video because they have access to CHL TV and hockey TV and all this stuff. And I mean, the Big Ten Network, now it's not hard to see college hockey games or the NHL Network, like you can watch an OHL game on a weekend, stuff like that. I think you're going to have scouts that are more comfortable using video and they're, I think it's really a scout to scout thing. We've talked, you know, you know, off the podcast about just football scouting and, you know, you see like in the, in the sport of football, how many of the, you know, true NFL scouts just predominantly use video sometimes and because that's not only because their sport only plays you know sometimes one or two games a week kind of thing, but in terms of the actual days of the week but that's just what they were brought up on and i think you're kind of seeing that on and the hockey side that a lot of people are starting like you said are being brought up on video right now yeah and that's where like Corey, i always tease you like hey you have this guy on your list you never even see him play and then you quickly remind me yes i have i've seen him on video about 20 times and and then you remind me that Mel Kuyper, that's how I love Mel Kuyper. And you always remind me that that's how he does his entire process. So, yeah, I mean, some sports, football, um, you know, it was fun for me. I had a, a friend that scouts in Major League Baseball. I got to go watch him do his thing. And even when he was scouting live, he was collecting video on the pitchers and stuff like that that they can use back later. So I really do think that utilizing technology, leveraging technology and video the teams that do it the best and the scouts that do it the best going forward, I think that's an important skill set to stay ahead of the curve on it. Here's my question for you. When you talk about, you know, seeing Corey's list and, okay, maybe I should go look at this player again. What is a kind of team reaction like, though, when, when they see something like Corey's like pipeline list come out where he's ranking, you're with the Jets, and he tells you that the Jets pipeline is number 26 and all these guys you spent all this time on are bottom seven in the league or whatever. Depends, depends on where you're at organizationally on the cycle because when we were drafting like Patrick Line a high and we were on the cover of the Hockey News Future Watch and Corey was putting us at one or two or three, if we saw Corey in August at the Alinka, it's all smiles. Hey, Corey, good to see you. But as we started to make our pursuit um, trying to win the cup in Winnipeg, you start trading away some picks, trade away some prospects, you start moving down on those lists, guys graduate, and then they're not as exciting as fun to read. Um, and even then too, like those are players that we've – invested in at that point um you know Corey's draft list none of those guys are in your organization yet so it's a little bit easier to stomach like okay like i don't really agree with him but um when <laughs> when it's a player that you went to bat for and your team invested a draft pick in and now you're developing you have that relationship with the young man and Corey's quite lower on him than you are it um it's it obviously you would love to get people will pat you on the back saying, Hey, awesome job. But at the same time, I think you do have some re reality, like, you know, like, Hey, we're in a different part, you know, we're in a different cycle organizationally and we don't have the best prospect pool right now because that's not where we're at on our arc here trying to win the cup, but there's definitely a reaction. And every year before Corey's list comes out, I ask him, I'm like, Hey, who's, 
who's 32? When are you making that phone call to get ahead of it? But organization, you read it. And again, it's, it, it can be a source of enjoyment, but at the same time, if it's not going your way, you understand it's his opinion. The one thing with Corey is he works very hard. He does his work. It's not just guesswork. And so, you know, like, Hey, you put a lot of time and energy into this. You respect that. But at the end of the day, it is just his opinion. Our third co-host, uh, Chris Peters, is going to kill me if I let you keep saying nice things about Corey. So we, we got we to gotta put the, kib- the kibosh on, on that soon here. Um, the other, you, you talked about kind of how it's a humbling profession. But is there, like, what is the, the gratification level when you do see these guys five, six years later and they're impacting the NHL team? I, I don't know how much you're even able to watch when you were with the Jets. How many Jets games a year could you even watch? Live Jets games, maybe one or two a year. Um, I actually went to more American League games. Like, I was lucky in my location. The Manitoba Moose came and played Milwaukee Admirals, the Rockford Ice Hogs. Those were easy for me to catch on a Sunday when I'm not missing, like, my actual job, which was to go watch amateur players. But, oh, the gratification is, I mean, you chase it year after year. There is nothing. I mean, this is one of the best feelings I've had in my career when there was a player and a person that I really believe in, really advocate for, and you get group support in your organization, and you go on the draft, and you just, you're just you crossing your fingers and toes, hoping no other team drafts them. When it comes together and your organization is drafting that player that you have passion for, that right there in itself is it's just such a rush. I remember during COVID draft, um, you know, my, we're, we're downstairs. I was in my basement. We're drafting like on Zoom, you know, having a Zoom call, drafted online, and my wife got to watch um, while we drafted Chaz Luchas the player that I had a lot of passion for, knew Chaz really well. And, um, you know, I held my composure together when we first drafted, you know, great job guys. And then as soon as like the dust settled and I could step away from my computer, I just started like jumping and fist pumping. And she's like, wow, I've never seen you so excited about something. So the gratification on draft day, if it goes your way, is a rush that you chase year after year. But then the ultimate one is you drafted the player. That relationship just grows and grows. And before you know it, again, you get to know the player, his parents, when you see it come together, like when the Mason Appletons make their NHL debut, it's, it's honestly, that turns into like really an emotional experience. It's, uh, I don't know if I actually cried, but you feel it in your chest. Like you really do. You feel really proud and really happy for the young man. So, I mean, it kind of brings a full circle to kind of the conversation about, you know, advice to those getting into the game. You know, you just describe, you know, the highs and, you know, the passion of the, that you came with drafting players, seeing them reach the NHL, getting NHL success. In the case of Kyle Connor, NHL stardom, and all the work that goes into it, all the time you invested, I think it would beg the question to, to uh, maybe some of the listeners who are listening right now, why leave that? Um, for me, it was the opportunity to go learn from people like Pat Brisson, Jim Hughes, Jim Nice, J.P. Barry, Matt Williams. I mean, the the group of people there. I mean, I, I worked with the Winnipeg Jets for 10 years and it was a complete blessing. I always thought that was going to be my dream job, but I am a curious guy. I wanted to try something new. Um, also, though, I wanted the opportunity to go, again, just learn from the best, get mentored, a new side of it. And then also, I will say about halfway through my tenure in the NHL scouting, I started to realize that the most rewarding part of this job for me was the relationships with the players, getting to know them as people, seeing that through and it's kind of it's built into your job as an nhl scout where hey great we drafted a player that you believe in as a hockey player as a person you advocated for him we got him it's built into your job just to go find the next one your job's not really like hey you know continue to help this young man from a relationship standpoint so that was tough on me it'll be startling how many like 
directors, crossover guys, even like your Oreo scouts, whoever I'll talk to, I'll be like, so hey, you know, can, can I get your thoughts on how your fifth round pick is looked this year? And you're like, I don't, I have, I have no idea, kind of thing. It's like, but you just drafted this guy last year. You're not even like a little bit curious yeah. how your fifth round pick is doing this year. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm on to the next class. <laughs> yeah, and so that was personality wise. It, it, it honestly became tough for me. I, I did as best of a job as I could to stay in touch with them, but. That was that that really drew me to this uh, to the agency side with CAA as well as the opportunity to. I'm really enjoying it. It's not a it's not a draft based system like we get to do a lot of recruiting. Um, so you go see a player you like, you get to go right away, say hi, meet the family. You know that process of bringing them into CAA and get represented and work with them. But now also just that relationship just gets, it, it continues to grow. I get to help the guys try to achieve their goals and. So personality fit-wise, I think the move has been really good for me. You talked about the challenge of trying to predict the future of human beings at, at age 18. Do you now long for the certainty that comes with projecting them at age 18 instead of much younger? Yeah. So for us, like a lot of recruiting is done like when they're 13, 14. And um, you know, what's been interesting to me, though, is I, I had a former co-worker in Winnipeg named Dan Schrader, a really good friend of mine, that he walked away from the NHL on his own to go work for Dubuque in the USHL. And I asked him that. I was like, hey, how is it watching 14 and 15-year-olds? And he said, honestly, all the stuff that you learned in the NHL, it really does translate to this level. So even all the stuff that I was looking for in 17 and 18 and 19-year-olds, now I'm just applying it with the 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And Such as? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I've, I've always been a big believer that the game is played through your eyes and your brain first. So I'm always looking for players that play with their eyes up, um, especially at the younger ages. If there's a player, I mean, some guys are just so physically dominant. They can, you know, they continue to do it level and level up. Like, don't get me wrong. Those guys always exist. But for the most part, I was always looking for those guys that, you know, they play the game with their heads. They're intelligent players. They process things quickly, accurately. I'm always watching the eyes of the player first. That's what I go to. And then I'm also looking for guys that have puck skill to execute what they're seeing. And then I'm looking for competitive, passionate people. And so that's what I'm still doing now today with CAA. If it's a player that on the recruiting end, trying to fill our berth here, so to speak, and grow those, I'm looking for guys that are intelligent, play with their eyes up, have good skill, and then they're competitive players with passion for it. And that was also what I was looking for at the NHL level. Now, what's fun for us is we get to just chase the best of the best. We're not, we're not tied to, hey, we have the 28th overall pick this year. So you know, hey, do we draft a really risky profile or do we, are we okay drafting a third line center here? No, now it's like... You can get Connor and Besser. <laughs> yeah, now we're trying to find, hey, is this guy the best guy in his birth here in the country? Let's go after that player and try to work with him. Um, and so for me, again, just watching the NHL even today, I think the best of the best, they're guys that can process the game faster than anyone and they have better skill than anyone. And those are the players that we're looking for. Awesome. Max, thank you so much for, for all your time today and uh, and good luck going forward. Thank you. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, so this was great. <laughs> Appreciate it. Great first call. We are joined now by Tom Melander, top prospect in the 2023 NHL draft uh, and one of the, the big risers out of the World U18 Championship. So that's where I want to start, Tom. Like, What was your experience like at, at the Worlds and what did you feel like you showed? Uh, you know, I just feel like it was a very fun experience for sure. Um, we had a we had a great team, a great connection in the team. Uh, everybody was friends with everybody, so I feel like we just had a really good time over there. You played at, at Rogla throughout the uh, the season. Yes, in, in club yes. play. Yes, really interesting program. I got to spend a little time in Engelholm yeah. earlier this year. Yep. 
what what brought you there from from Stockholm? Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a bit uh, it's a bit complicated. Um, it was uh, you know a bit complications with with AIK, um, but you know we decided it was a maybe a best option to move. So it's a club that a lot of young players have, have gone to, and obviously they've produced some you know Marco Casper yeah. and yeah. Felix Nilsson this yeah. year. Uh, what what did you feel like their development? kind of brought for you or, or what do you think it did for your development oh a lot a lot i feel like uh going to roguelay was endless opportunities um you know uh just a lot of ice time i feel like uh, the players that were there were really driven um but also the same with the coaches i just feel like um you know it was a very it's been a great organization it's been handled like very good and so that kind of brings us to where you're going next season yep. you're, you're going to follow a very unique development path for a top Swedish prospect where you're going to go play college hockey yep. as an 18 year old. Can you kind of walk us through that decision-making process sure. with your, with your parents, uh, your representatives, you know, you don't see a lot of, you know, premier European prospects go play college. Sometimes, you know, mid rounders, we've seen guys like Gustav Nyquist, Carl Hagelin, guys like that do that. You know, why that, why Boston university? Can you kind of walk sure. us through the timeline of that decision? Sure. So I, I get, I guess it's uh, it's got a lot to do with development. So you know, um, Roglay being in the SHL, a uh, pro league, um, obviously their job is to win. Um, and what usually can happen with with SHL teams is that um, they don't focus too much on the development of players, but usually focus a lot on winning. And sometimes that could be a, a little tough for for younger players that don't really get the chance. Um, so really, it was about not risking having that. Um, and instead going for a little bit more safe developing path um, where we know that college uh, focuses a lot on developing the players. Why Boston University? Um, well, you know, it's really been the only school I've talked to. Um, but, you know, the reason I started talking to them is because they have connections with uh, my agent here in, in North America, Todd Diamond. Um, and that's kind of how we started talking to, to Boston. And you mentioned in terms of Rogla, the development opportunities. When, yeah. when your conversation with the, like the Abbott brothers, mm. did, did, were there maybe not reassurances that you would get the ice time, that you wouldn't be with the big club, or you're just maybe worried it would be like 12 minutes a game, 14 minutes a game, not enough power play? Exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, since, since it is a pro club, um, nothing, nothing is, you know, promised. Um, and that's something you have to respect. Um, and, you know, it's also about, you know, uh, experience from seeing other younger players that have kind of gone, uh, you know, into that uh, little area where, where you know, that gray zone where it's kind of, you know, getting loaned out to, to you know, all Svenska clubs and stuff. So Yeah, I mean, I remember like Philip Broberg, eighth overall pick, yep. barely didn't get any special team time with Shalefchia for, yep. for, for two years. And but obviously he's in the NHL right now. He's a good, yep. he's a good hockey player. Um, wanted to walk back to the U18s and not just the – tournament you had there but you're kind of progression with the national team you know maybe mm. when we saw you in august even november you weren't maybe a regular on the power play with the 18s yep. and by the end you know you're playing 25 30 minutes a night what was mm. your how would you describe your progression with the national team throughout the season and and uh and how would you maybe you, you know, was it what and what you know role did made the national team having your development um i think i just think it's um you know um uh, you know, just working hard uh, every single day, you know, it's very, very, uh, you know, cliche to say consistency is key. Um, but, you know, if you keep practicing hard, um, you know, um, doing, you know, sometimes you don't want to train, but you do it anyway. You do just being very disciplined about, you know, practice and uh, being professional uh, outside the ice. I feel like I feel like the opportunities will come to you. What 
is it about your game that you think took the biggest improvement to go from maybe like a second, third pair guy on the team to being the number one defenseman by the end of it? I'd probably say it's my, my offensive capabilities. And it's something I've focused a lot on this season because I feel like it's been a little bit behind, um, you know, contrary to my, to my defensive play. Um, so, you know, that being both uh, technical but also tactical parts of the offensive game. So your, your dad is a skills coach, is that right? Right. He's like a youth development coach for, for the club itself. So. Okay, oh, for the club. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So what was that like growing up? I mean, were you going through his, his workouts? Um, I mean, he was my coach when I was younger. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously it was a little bit of a hate-love relationship <laughs> since, you know, a bit of unwanted feedback in the car ride zone. Sure. But, uh, you know, that's part of it. But um, I, think, I think it's shaped a really good relationship with him. Yeah. Because nowadays when I get um, the feedback, it's mostly only positive, you know, for me, uh, since I can handle it in a, in a way better way. So Does he still send you, like, hey, if I saw this in the yeah, game, like, yeah, try sure. this? Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, you know, it's obviously not as much as back then, because now I can handle me- a lot of my, you know, uh, that on my own. But uh, for sure, if I, if I want to ask something, I, I know I can count on him. The first thing that I think people are going to notice about you when they watch you is, is your skating. And I'm, I'm curious, like, where does that, where does your stride come from? Is that something you, you that's always come natural to you? Or? <laughs> I, w- I was terrible at first. <laughs> um, I was, like, really bad at skating. Um, in fact, so bad that, yeah, I, I asked my father to just take, you know, um, a whole, you know, winter break from school to just practice skating. Really? Uh, that's how bad it was. Um, when at least that's what he told me. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess it did not come that naturally to me. But um, we practiced very much when I was young. So, in, in back to the U18s, you know, Corey alluded to it. You were playing thirty minutes by the by that gold medal yeah. game. I mean, did you would you have imagined that coming into the tournament? And what were those final minutes of the gold medal game like? How were you feeling? Uh, I was feeling amazing. I, you know, it, it's. Uh, it's so fun to play. Um, like you know, those tight games uh, when 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 every every single situation matters. So those are the most fun. You know, it's high risk, high reward, and that's that's what everybody loves to play, right? So it was amazing. That tournament was kind of building up to a potential you guys versus USA gold medal yeah, game, and yeah. you guys had a great tournament. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. Two amazing games against Canada, yeah. for example, and then going to that USA game, you knew about that big line that they mm-hmm. had with Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, yeah. and Gabe Perot, as well as Oliver Moore on that team. What was it like going up against those guys? And what would what would be your scouting report as the defenseman who was often asked to match up against yeah. the Will Smith line? Yeah, well, you know, I'd say I'd say they're very technical players, you know. Um, so. Um, it's uh, you know it was quick line very technical um, not maybe the same way that the Canadians are difficult to play against they are you know a lot stronger along the boards you know uh, kind of you know stronger game um, but that's kind of where you have to always be on on your tippy toes right because you know anytime it can just be a pass that you that you don't really see in its back door in its goal so um, I think we all knew that we always had to be on our toes um, when that line was in uh, but I think we handled it quite well. A couple of your teammates I wanted to ask you about. David Edstrom is another guy who I yeah. think really turned people's heads at that yeah. event. What was yeah. he like as a teammate? What did you see in his game? Um, I, I, I've always liked uh, his game. Uh, you know, as a, as a defender, it's very easy for me to to, to feel when a, when a center is good because um, we are, you know, we need the centers uh, like really bad. Um, so, so I can always feel with him. I can always trust him. I think he's good in the offensive and the defensive part of the game. Um, and I think, I, I think he just provides really good support for me as a defender. 
and then Axel Sandy Pelica, kind of your other, you know, yeah. right shot D in the top yeah. four. You know, how did you feel? I mean, what was your relationship like uh, with, with each other? You know, you kind of shared power play responsibilities. Yeah. What do you like no, no, we for for us it was just more about winning. Uh, we had a great time. You know, uh, very good friends with him outside the ice. Uh, so it's been a blessing. Sure. Yeah, I'm guessing you know between Axel, David, maybe Theo Lindstein is possible. All you guys will be together. Maybe Otto Stenberg. All you guys might be together again on this upcoming World Junior team. Yeah, yeah, of course. I assume that's something you, you look forward to yeah. pretty good after yeah. how it went. Yeah. Absolutely, awesome. absolutely. I think that's everything we got for you, Tom. Uh, that right. was tremendous. I really appreciate it. All right, no All problem, right. Tom Melander. All right, we are back, and we are joined by Gabe Perot from the U.S. National Team Development Program. Gabe Perot, the new single-season record holder for the U.S. National Team Development Program. Have you uh, gotten sick of hearing that one yet? Uh, not really. I mean, obviously, it's, it's pretty cool having my name with, with those guys. Yeah, it's just a really special season for, for myself and the team as well. At what point in the year did you start to, okay, I could get this? Did it start to enter kind of your consciousness, I guess? Uh, I think probably more towards, towards the end of the season. Before the season, it's not really something I, I thought I was going to be able to do at all. And then, uh, like, you know, my, my agent, my audience was uh, told me that I, I could maybe get it. And he, uh, you know, I guess it was kind of a goal for the, for the second half. That line that you guys had will surpass Matthews as Mark yeah. too, and then obviously Ryan mm-hmm. Leonard. What do you think it was that made the three of you work so well together? And when did you first try that trio? Yeah, uh, I think me and Will played a lot together the, the U17 year and uh, a couple of times with Ryan. And then coming into the year, we, we wanted to, to play together. And obviously, we had a pretty special season. Uh, I think we all brought something a little bit different to the line. With obviously, how, how skilled Will is and, and how smart he is. And then with Ryan's all-around game, it's, it's pretty, pretty special to, to play with those guys. I talked to Dan Muse uh, on the phone a few, couple weeks ago, and he told me there were times in the year where he would watch you try something and, and pull something off, and he would have to kind of stifle his laughter to, to maintain some professionalism. Uh, what was it like to, to kind of have a year like you had and, and play with those guys where you could do those things that were almost laughable sometimes? Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's something I kind of always had. I'll try to, to be as creative as I can. And uh, I, think I, I always watch Trevor Zegas, so I might not be as, as creative as he is, but I think it's, it's a guy I try to look up to. I think you were the last of the three guys on that line to commit to Boston yeah. College. How big a a factor was it in your decision to go to BC was to, to play with, with, with Will and Ryan again? Yeah, so there's had a, a pretty big factor in it for sure. Uh, I went to the, the BC campus and I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the coaching staff and I'm close with uh, those two guys and the other BC guys. So yeah, they definitely had a, a pretty big factor. Family ties-wise, I mean, how, how big a role has hockey been in your life? Oh yeah, it's been pretty much my whole life for, for me and all my siblings and my dad. We've, something that we've really uh, been into for, for so long and I think my dad was, was my coach growing up for, for six, seven years so having him is such a such an advantage for me. What's the on-ice rivalry like with your brother? Uh, it's it's pretty big, yeah, so sometimes my dad rents ice, we play uh, two on two, uh, so last week before we left it was, it was me and my sister against uh, Jacob and my dad and, and we ended up winning that one so we got the, the bragging rights right now. Your dad was known as one of the face-off aces yeah. in the NHL when he was in the league. He has two sons. They both play forward. They don't take face-offs. <laughs> How does that happen? Uh, I don't know. I think, obviously, he was, he was pretty special player at, at, at face-offs. Um, I, it's kinda, I guess I've gotten that a lot. That's weird that we're both, both wingers. But uh, I try to take face-offs every, every once in a while, like on the power play and in the ozone. 
What have teams wanted to know about you as you've gone through all these meetings this week? What, what are the questions that, they, that keep seem to coming up? Uh, I mean, a lot of them are, are pretty similar questions. They're, they're trying to get to know you. Uh, I think a lot of guys in Montreal had a, a couple tougher ones, like animals and, and little things like that. And then I just had Colorado today, and they had a, a couple of games, which was, was pretty fun. What kind of games? Uh, just mind games. There was a game where you had like Hershey's Kisses. You're trying to throw into the, a basket. Uh, there's a couple other things, like a little slingshot game. So a couple different games. It was, it was pretty fun. When people talk about you as a prospect, I think it usually starts with, with Hockey Sense. And I'm wondering if there's any aspects of your game that you think people miss when they when they watch you. Uh, I think the, my second best asset is probably my, my compete level. I think I, I uh, compete pretty hard. So I think obviously my, my hockey IQ is probably my, my biggest strength. But I think I take pretty good pride in my own. I felt like there were a couple plays at, at the U18s where you really showed that, you know, starting to, what turned into a goal for you, obviously, but it starts with a big back check or a big takeaway. Was that something that you had been kind of keen in, you wanted to really show teams? Yeah, I think it's something I really just kind of improve on and, and show that I, I can do it. When you're doing those types of things, you, it leads to, to more offense. So, yeah, it's definitely something to work on. And I think if you actually kind of see where your offense is being generated, a lot of it is coming at the net yeah. or in the hard areas, which, especially with a guy your size, you have to generate there if you want to score in the yeah. NHL. Yeah. So I think yeah. Like you, if you look at the playoffs and the NHL right now, especially, it's you got to be able to get to the, the inside. I think that's the biggest thing. So for me, I always try to you know, go back door, find, try to score many different ways off rebounds and tips as well. Obviously, you're not the biggest guy, yeah. but I, I heard that that was a big point of emphasis for you at the program the last two years was putting on weight. How much muscle did you put on? How much weight did you put on? And how hard did you have to work to do it? Yeah, I had to work pretty hard. So I came into the program at five nine and. 140, maybe maybe a little less, and now I'm 5'11", 165, so lots of jumps there, but I think I can also keep improving, so it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. You don't have Ryan Leonard's no, body yet. No, not at all. No, he's pretty big. He's stocky. Is it natural? Is he he's in the gym with you, too? Sorry? Is that all natural for him, or he, he's um, spent all those minutes in the gym with you, too? Uh, I think, I mean, coming to the program, he was, he was like that, so I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think he's got the, those genetics, but he's also uh, worked hard for it. You guys get so much coverage at the NCDP, but I wonder, is there anyone on your team this year who you felt like maybe should have gotten more attention than they did? Yeah, for me, a guy that uh, I would say is, is Ryan Fine. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, but he's, he's so skilled and, and so smart, and I was, I was really happy for him when he got rewarded with that uh, top six role at UAT Wills. I think another guy I want to ask you about who maybe doesn't get as much attention, like your line mates or, or Ollie, was, was Nelson. It really yeah. felt like towards the end of the year, and at the, especially at the 18s, mm -hmm. it felt like he was playing some of his best hockey. Yeah, he was playing great. I mean, without him, we, we won one of that tournament. I mean, he scored so many big goals for us at, at that tournament, and I think his, his game just, just trended upwards since uh, the beginning of the year. Is there anybody that you look at in the NHL and say, this is who I think I play like or who I try to play like? Uh, yeah, like I said, I like to try to look at uh, Zegers a lot, just yeah. how competitive and how uh, creative he is. And then growing up in Chicago, I was like watching Patrick games. Obviously, that U18 gold medal game with being Sweden, that was a great game, yeah. one of the most compelling games in, in junior this season. Uh, you were going up against Tom Willander mm -hmm. in, in against Sweden, who will be at BU yeah. next season. I saw there was like one play where he kind of gave you a little bit of a cross check. So is there a little, maybe a little bit of a rivalry built in there be, between you two guys? Yeah, I guess so, uh, a little bit. I think the BCBU games are always uh, pretty fun to be a part of, and I think with him, he's obviously a really good player, so I'm excited to have uh, 
more battles against you. Did you get to know Cutter Gauthier pretty well being at the program at the same yeah, time? Yeah. Different teams, I yeah, know. Yeah, I got them all. Yeah, I got to know them a little bit. Yeah. Any chance that uh, they break up the golden trio here and uh, Cutter slots yeah, in the funny? Maybe. Or? I think you know, we, don't, we don't really know. I think going in, nothing's really guaranteed. So if we get split up, we get split up. But we're just, we're just hoping to win. So I think whatever they think is going to help us win. All right, that's going to do it for us, Gabe. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, good luck uh, between now and the draft. Yeah, of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah. Okay, we are joined now by Dalibor Dvorsky, top prospect for the 2023 NHL draft here at the Harbor Center. Dalibor, let's let's start simple. What's the week like been been for you so far? Yeah, it's been it's been really exciting. You know, I've been looking forward for this weekend for a long time, so I'm I'm enjoying it, and it's it's exciting, like I said. Any interviews that have been notable for one reason or another? I mean, I have a lot of interviews. Yeah, some were like more special, but I mean, I I think all of them were good. Looking back on your season this year, I mean, obviously playing in the Allsvenskan, where did you feel like you grew, and what did you feel like reflecting on your year? I think I've uh, I've really improved my game without the puck and my my defensive game and. Uh, I think I became just like much better pro player than I than I was before this season. We saw you at the U18s, obviously, and have a huge tournament there. I'm, I'm wondering what felt different at that level at that tournament for you, or did it feel different? Yeah, well, it's always you know different to go to go down when you for like from men and to go down to juniors. But I I feel like we had a great team and I had really good teammates and you know we all helped each other. We had a great group in the locker room too. So it it was a great tournament. You obviously had you know a long season. Started all the way back at the canceled World Juniors that was rescheduled in Edmonton. You know, into your time with AIK, the World Junior team, the U18 team. What did you think was your best stretch of hockey this season? Um, well, I think my, the U18s were were like one of the best, and also I've had pretty much good games with the AIK and also Svenskan and even in the J20 there. So, yeah, I've had I've had more like good moments this season. I think. Why did you feel the U18s were was when you your game was at your best? Um, that's a tough question. I don't know. I just I just felt felt really good on that tournament, and uh, like I said, we had also really good team spirit, and it was just yeah, it was really fun to fun to be here. What brought you to Sweden to begin with? Like, why did you decide that was where you wanted to play? Um, it was uh, I was nine years old back then when my parents and I went to Sweden because of hockey, and it's. I've never actually really asked them like why it's you know we just went there and uh, yeah I stayed. I think a lot of people will be curious like next year do, would you like to go back to AIK? Do you know is that something that's going to wait until the draft? Like I mean I assume you if you've been there for that long you're pretty comfortable there. Yeah I mean that's something that you know the team that drafts me they also probably say what what they think and yeah we will see after. When people look at your game obviously they see you know the production like you had at the U18 tournament and the offense the skill but I think there's also you know, very smart player. Do you see yourself as more of an offensive or a defensive centerman? How, how do you look at your game? I definitely see myself as an offensive offensive centerman with really good hockey IQ and a good shot. But I think I'm a I'm a two way guy, so I'm good to defense too. Is there a player in the league or multiple players in the NHL who you think are realistic comparables that you think that you model your game after? Yeah, I would say. Uh, uh, John Tavares or, or Andre Kopitar, maybe those two guys. Do you find there's some similarity between the way they play with like the all-around play and the skating stride? Is that is that why you picked those two? Yeah, I mean they are both really good two-way centers. They're they have great offensive instincts, good shot, good hockey IQ. 
and they're you know they're strong on the puck too. Slovak hockey has had such a strong couple of birth years here. Do you have close relationships with any of these guys? Simon Nemitz, uh, Slavkovsky, Samuel Hanzik. Yeah, you know we've we've known each other for a long time. Everyone, because Slovakia is a small country, so we all know each other. And uh, I'm just really happy it's been going good these last few years, and I, I believe it's gonna yeah just be better years to come. Did you ask either of those guys from last year about this process or for any words of wisdom for going through it? Yeah, I asked Philip Michar or like Shimon about about combine and how it is, and they maybe gave me some advices and you know just told me how it's going and stuff. It really feels like this is kind of a golden era of of Slovak hockey, especially at the junior level right now. I mean, you were on that Halinka team that had Slepkovsky, Nemec, Meshar, and you know Maxim Sturbas going to go pretty high. What has it been like, you know, um, talking among the Slovaks and back in your home country, seeing this all the success that Slovakia is having in international hockey right now? Yeah, well, it's uh, I'm really happy to see that you know also with the Olympics at men's and us at the U18s. I really think the Slovakian hockey is be going forward and I think it's yeah it's gonna be just better and better I hope so and uh, I'm really happy to see that like I said do you have a good relationship with Maxim Sturbeck who also we think will go pretty high in the draft yeah I have a great relationship with him I've, I've known him for a long time and we're good friends awesome Dalbor thanks so much for joining us and uh, good luck with the rest of the week thank you guys that was great stuff, Corey. It was really fun to hear from those guys. Uh, what, what were some of your big takeaways? I think what Lander's interview in particular was impressive to me. What you see of how well spoken uh, the guy is for someone who you know is is a, is a Swede born and raised in Europe. Um, it reminded me and has reminded others who've talked to him this week in the interview process of how Gabriel Landeskog looked at his combine and, and looked in terms of just how he presented himself and how he communicated, especially as a European player. You know, Landeskog wasn't the flashiest player in the world, but, you know, he had good production. He had good, he looked, you know, good on ice tools, great work ethic on the ice, but it was also the off ice intangibles that appealed to teams. And, you know, I, I, it's hard not to see what Lander can do on the ice and how he presents himself off the ice at a premium position as not being highly appealing to NHL teams. Yeah, that was the first time I had ever heard him speak. I had never watched an interview of his before, and so that was my real first impression of him. And, you know, when he left the room, we kind of said, like, okay, like if, if an NHL team really likes what this guy is on the ice, you know, that, that interview would have probably sealed the deal for a lot of them. Right, and I think interviews and his personality aside, I think he's going to be a fairly early draft pick. But yeah, when just it's all in, in combination now. You know, I, I still believe David Reinbacker will be the first defenseman off the board. The exact draft slot, you know, who knows? It could be four, five, six, seven. You know, I, I don't know, and, and and don't hold me to that for the Sharks fans and the, and the Montreal fans who are, who are listening to this right now, and and uh, and may. may not agree that he might be in, in that discussion, but I think he'll be very early. And then shortly thereafter, whether it's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, I think, I think Will Anders firmly in that conversation. Yeah, it should be really interesting. Uh, really good stuff today. So that that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Make sure you follow us on YouTube at youtube.com/slash/at/theathletic. Right now, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon.